Coming up on Tell the Odds, we have new character posters for Mando Season 2, some snippets of new footage in the wake of the new season, and as the concluding installment of our Skywalker Saga retrospective, we take a look at the rise of Skywalker. All that and more coming up now. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Telling the Odds. We're coming back to you with episode 21, 22? Episode 21 on the 18th of October. Uh, Yes, episode 21. That that seems to have gone by pretty quickly because I'm pretty sure we started (laughs) in May. um, Doing this for how many weeks now? It's gone like that. 21, yeah, well 22 I guess if you don't count the one where we were off for a week. Yeah. Um, How's your week been, Michael? My week has been good. Uh, it's it's nearing to the end of the year. It's also nearing to the end of October, which means Mandalorian. So yeah, and you know what exciting. else? The um the 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 Lego Star Wars holiday special will be coming up, which means yes. it'll be. I, I think we have to watch the holiday special before that comes out, and then we'll. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, when does? I feel like Mandalorian will probably still be airing at that point. It will though, be. So we'll, it will we'll be to... because. Yeah. I have to work out how we're going to arrange oh, to do episodes on it and whatnot. That's true, because I was hoping that, may, like, you know, I've been thinking of ways we can do it where we can actually record ourselves watching it and, like, you know, do an actual oh, watch-along. Yes. That, that, that'd be kind of fun. Um, Definitely. Yeah, I, I've, got some cool, I've got some cool Star Wars stuff going on this week. I, I ordered a bunch of vintage collection action figures. So Boba Fett is here. Darth Vader is here. They're both with me while I do this podcast. Um, and they're very cool. I'm very happy. Uh, but yeah, so we've got a cool show for you guys today. And um, there's been some, uh, you know, some Mandalorian related stuff in the news. We've got news um, this week. We do have news this week. And we you know what? News I, last week. I'm so glad that we didn't have news last week because it gave mm. way for such that a really great discussion that we had with Trey. And um, yeah. I think it was because when I was editing, because like I know that, our, that, that an episode is good if I am interested to listen to it because I've, because like sometimes when I'm editing it, I'll be like, okay, I've just actually did it myself. I'm not sure mm. how... <laughs> I'm just like, I have to listen to it again. But the, especially because it's my own voice. I don't like the sound of my own voice. But no, I can when understand. I, when I actually, you know, have, enjoy listening to the episode that we do, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a testament to us, which is good. Uh, but anyway... Um, the same with me. I listen to the entire Harmy interview again. Like, yeah. And I very rarely listen to the podcast once it's been done, just because, like... Yeah, like when we have guests on, it is just so much more interesting, I feel like, because it's not just me and you talking to ourselves, like when we have yeah. extra people, like extra perspectives, it's a lot of fun. Exactly. Uh, so we'll get right into our news for the day and it won't take very long because it's not a lot of hard, you know, uh, hard-hitting journalism, hard-hitting, hard-hitting journalism. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll just talk about it briefly. So we've had a um, an array of, of uh, Mandalorian Season 2 TV spots this week. Um, mm. And a lot of it has been the same footage, but some of it has been new. So we'll just quickly, you know, talk about it a little bit. One of the yeah. shots was of Mando in this sort of like ice cave that we or us hypothesize it could be Ilm, it could be something like that. And he's shooting, he's he's enjoying a bit of shoot him up in the cave. He's shooting at something. Um, and another he's shot an account- was he's doing an yeah. encounter of blast to proportions. Exactly. Uh, what else was there? There were some uh, brief shots of Cara Dune, Din Djarin, and uh, Grief Karga in what is clearly a, man- a, a Imperial or a Remnant Imperial installation. So they're, yes. you know, invading, going after Moff Gideon, something like that. And, you know, something I've always thought is, you know, 
Mando has said in the trailer, wherever I go, he goes, in, re in reference to the child. But in all those shots where they're in the Imperial installation, the child is not there. So I'm thinking Very maybe uh, that they're, launch yes, they're, launch they're launching an incursion to go get him. Maybe he's been captured briefly. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's too far-fetched to assume, yeah. Yeah, no, because I, I just... It, it really... It, it wasn't something that I really thought of immediately, but then it suddenly clicked. He says wherever i go he goes if he's not there it clearly is not by his choice um yep. yeah because you know even the the the, the um uh, what's her name? The, the blacksmith the female blacksmith mandalorian you know when she, yeah, she says until he's Did restored to his people you know you are as its father so he he wouldn't go anywhere without the child or baby yoda as he's been yeah. you know so commonly referenced to and uh, referred to sorry uh and then another shot was actually uh the same area which seems to be a tie fighter like landing pad where there were like several of moff gideon's um you know special folding ties and they're all mm. taking off as the ground beneath them like this ashy rocky surface that we were talking about when we broke down the trailer is seemingly you know exploding volcanically like there's like you know lava and you know um uh, brimstone and everything coming out of the ground. And um, that is the same area that you see Mando actually coming down from, you know, a, a flight on the jetpack. And he's doing yep. like a super, he's doing like a superhero landing. He does the superhero um, landing. Yeah, he does. It's very hard on the knees. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool reference. And, you know, I started to think, you know, based on the surface that we'd already seen and what we'd already seen of it in season one, it was easy to assume that that was Navarro. Um, I don't know if, you know, Navarro has that sort of like, you know, molten volcanic core or like, you know, underneath the sediment that they normally walk on. Because if it doesn't, the only thing that I could think of is maybe it's a place like Sullust because that's a very volcanic planet. Yeah, or, I guess yeah. there's a number of volcanic planets that like, um, I mean, we got Mustafar, but I feel it's probably different looking to like Mustafar. And we've seen yeah. Sullust a number of times, never really in like movies or anything. So I feel like that yeah. that is enough of a planet that it's well known enough that they'd be like interesting to use. But it hasn't really been done live action, so they kind of have creative freedom. So I can see them going with a planet like that. But as I yeah. said, we don't really know. Like, it may be something we've already seen. It could just be something completely new. At this point, the Mandalorian um, creators are probably just choosing whatever they think will service the story best. And if it's something from the lore, then that's really cool. If it's something new to the lore, then that's also pretty cool. Like, that's the one yeah. thing I really enjoyed about the first season, is you've got a pretty healthy mix of callbacks and references and new things that we experienced for the first time. And so I, I'm happy with either at this point. If As long as it's well done. And I think this has been shown with the Mandalorian. It's like treating the Star Wars universe really well and like making it really interesting again. Like getting us yeah. really invested in it again. Absolutely. Because like, you know, you can break down and like hypothesize about all the shots that you see, like, you know, all you want. But all you yeah. can do is relate it to something we've already seen. And if so. Mandalorian season one has proven anything, it's that they gave us a lot of new stuff. One um, planet we knew. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes, and hopefully what is Mon Color? Because if we go back to oh, Mon yeah. Color, I know you will lose your mind. Um, oh, it's going to be so good. I, look, again, I have to hold myself back because it may not be, but oh, I really hope it is. Yeah, well, you know oh. what? Just a fun fact, because I because I'll often, you know, when I was when I work and stuff like that, I just put something on in the background while, you know, I work, just something that I've seen countless times. So I put on the Water War arc of Clone Wars because I just love so the Mon Calamari people so much. And you know what? So if at, By the time we get to see them again, there is a Quarren King. That'd be very interesting. Um yeah, yeah the... I know Prince Prince Leecher was in command or was in yeah. leadership 
in some comics that were during the yeah, Rebels. So I, I, I think actually the think Star that, Wars comics. I'm not sure if between... he. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is canon, but I understand that he did die shortly after the fall of the Empire. Actually, no, not the fall of the Empire. Around mm. the time between empo- uh, episodes four and five, because I believe he's like you know attacked by Vader or something. I'm not sure because I was googling him and I was going on his Wikipedia page as I was watching the Waterboy arc because I was I was right. interested if there's been anything more of him. And uh, yeah. yeah, apparently he did um, unfortunately perish yeah. <laughs> around I, the time I'm, of the Empire. I'm not but... aware of that whether he died or not because I've actually well, that's the it, thing. I'm I not did... sure if that I... comic is legends or canon, but no, uh, so. There is a, a a canon comic in the Star Wars comic that had Prince Char, Lee Char in it that came out a couple of years ago, um, set between four and five uh, in the canon. And it, yep. it, it's probably from that. And if he died in that, then that, that might mean new leadership, which here's yeah. the thing. As much as I think it could be likely, and I would love to see it, I feel like even if we do go to Moncala, it's unlikely that one, either Mandalorian is going to meet or encounter the Quarren leadership, or yeah, two, exactly. it's really going to come up. It's, it's, gonna just be a fan, of, it's just a fan thing for us. It's probably just a type of thing where it's like they put it on Mon Cala and it's just basically a fishing yeah. planet for the plot. But for us, it's like we're just so excited. It's like, I just want to know about the politics and like all of the societal changes <laughs> that are going on in this fishing planet. I want to see the MC-80s below the water. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, buildings yeah, exactly. Are, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that. And the last shot, I believe we were going to talk about. There's, there's two of them. There was the yep. shot where you know that part where the, um, the Cyclops uh, from the first trailer, you know, says, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm told this is no place for a child. And then he, and then Mando, you know, activates his whistling birds, and you know, Baby Yoda sort of puts himself back into the pod. And then it sort of cuts yep. to black. In this TV spot, it doesn't, and you get to see a little bit more of the whistling birds going everywhere. And awesome. they're awesome because the whistling birds are a very cool weapon, as they well as. Cool. As well as um, uh, the the uh, the male Twi'lek, who they yes. save in episode six of Mandalorian, oh, season, oh, wow. of chapter six. Um, that's the thing is that at the very end of the trailer, you see uh, Mando punching a Twi'lek that looks very much like him. All right. Um, Didn't he die? Yeah. Well, it's not clear if he died because you know. You, Was you he on the uh, sta- station that they blew up? Right. Yeah, I mean, they because I actually, you know, just went back and watched the clip of that little part of Chapter 6 when I thought that it was him, and a lot of people think that it was him as well, this Twi'lek that he punches. Um, You know, they don't blow up the station. They sort of just blow up that... They sort of just blow up the hangar. They blow up that, like, that that start that gunship that they were launching, and that sort of basically ricochets around the entire hangar. But they didn't really blow up the actual station itself. Actually, I don't think he was. Wasn't... Didn't um, the Mandalorian... Didn't Din Djarin... um... Leave them on the rebel prison ship? No, no, no. He left. They betrayed um, him. He left everyone but the male Twi'lek. On oh, because he brought yeah. him back. Because that's he who, left, who he left. Person. He left Shi'an, yeah. the female, the female Twi'lek, uh, Bill Burr's yeah. character, and oh. um, and the the Deveronian, what's it, Clancy Brown, whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, all them, they're still trapped there. But he brought the male Twi'lek back to that station. Right. Okay. Yeah, but I'm so not sure. We're not sure if he died, and if he didn't die, I mean. He's, off, he's most likely very resentful. So it could be just another um, pale uh, Twi'lek. Like no, exactly. That's the thing is that people not say, great. especially if you didn't see the face. But like you know, 
know, that's what happens with Star Wars breakdowns, as we know, Michael. Is that like you know when you see something like it's that? It's that species. Like, it must oh, be the one we already know. Oh, it's that guy. Oh, there's a Rodian yeah. in the corner. It must be Greedo. Like it's Greedo. Yeah, he's back from the dead. <laughs> Look, um, we say that like jokingly, but like. You know they do that in Star Wars. Like, you know yeah. a, Gre- a, a Rodian bounty hunter or whatever shows up in Clone Wars, and of course it's flipping Greedo, so... Yeah, no, I mean... They do it, that. It is, it's quite racist when you think about it, but... <laughs> oh, <laughs> <No>. incredibly. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of Rodian scum bounty hunters out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well said, Michael, thank you. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's like the, ne- the first little bit of news now the next thing does also have to do with mandalorian season two and it's just the fact that we have received new character posters for mandalorian mm. baby yoda uh cara dune and grief karga now my, people are more interested in what's going on behind them than the actual characters themselves because uh they are standing in front of a wide assortment of uh graffiti and stuff like that um which is in yeah. keeping with that shot that we saw of uh mando and, and the child walking through that like dark urban sort of terrain that was very that, and where there was just vandalism everywhere so they're clearly going mm. into the you know the the wretched hives of scum and villainy uh, where they're going I love, in, in I have season. Uh, it has it as uh, the child.jpg uh, Gina Carano.jpg Okay, oh no, actually, that's alright. <laughs> but it has it as like uh, Pedro Pascal.jpg I'm like, they don't have oh, the right. character names, but they've got the, the child as, as them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, what? The chi- just ask <laughs> Werner even... Herzog. Just ask Werner Herzog, the child plays himself. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, definitely not like six puppeteers or whatever doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it if I had like all the puppeteers' names. JPEG. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just disturbed. No, no, We're looking okay. at graffiti. We're looking at graffiti. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, again, this isn't like you can't get anything very, um, you know, authentic Concrete. from the graffiti that you see. But, you know, it's just something to think about because on the top left, just by the Mandalorian's helmet, there is the insignia of Crimson Dawn, the crime you know syndicate that was featured heavily in Solo. Because and look, if we are going back to this like you know crime, uh, you know scum and villainy part of the galaxy, then it's likely that they may run into stuff like that, or like you know crime families and stuff like that. That'd be interesting. Um, next to the uh, hang on, no, yes, right next to Cara Dune over her top right shoulder, you actually have the insignia of the rebellion. A lot of people have been saying that it's like the sort of uh, rebellion insignia that Sabine Wren would, um, you know, paint on the walls of the ghost. And, you know, some people have hypothesized that the woman, uh, Sasha Banks, who was in the first trailer was Sabine Wren. I'm not really sure about that myself, but you know, it, it leads itself open to interpretation because she does have a, a strong tie to the Mandalorians, obviously. And in Grief Karga's you image, look under her eye. There's also under her eye is like another rebel logo. Well, that's true. I mean, yeah, it's in keeping with, you know, Cara Dune herself because she's a yeah. re- she was a um, I think you could definitely the rebellion. I I think you could definitely get the idea that it's like it may be like hinting stuff, but I think I think the general thing is it's like giving like interesting ideas like hints towards their characters, the backstory. Like they're showing Crimson Dawn to be like a like a mercenaries like bounty hunter, it's like kind of that style for him. You've got yeah. Cara Dune, she's got like rebellion in the background to show like her history, like the rebellion. I'm sure we'll get to Grief Cargo and the Child and whatnot, but like if you go to there, is it kind of like yeah? No, I, I feel like I mean maybe maybe it's indications of possible things we'll see in the show, but I think it's more of like a metaphorical thing, like it's explaining the character through artwork. 
or something. Like yeah, that. No, it very much is. You're right, and like yeah, I would just quickly mention the 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 top left of Grief Karga's mm-hmm. uh, character poster is um I don't know why I always blank on the species is his name. It's Pondabala's species, the Aqualish. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's the it's the face of an Aqualish, like you know a graffitied image of a kind of an Aqualish's face. Uh, you know crossed out with a circle and then a line through it um which is which is interesting because yeah he either killed one or because you're saying like you know a lot of the graffiti has something maybe to he has do the death sentence on uh on what's his system what's, the, what's oh right what's the on, 12, si- on 12 on 12 systems yeah maybe this is one of the 12 systems where pondavaba has the death sentence <laughs> um yeah, yeah. <laughs> although uh, although ponda oh yeah it's dr Amazon who actually had it not pondavaba but yeah oh true <laughs> they probably yeah. shared and, then again, well, well, hang on. Did Pondababa die in the cantina? Uh, or did he just no, lose an arm? He, he cuts off his arm. Oh, but that's the thing is the arms are supposed to cauterize. Like it's supposed to cut it, like not bleed. But yeah. um, when they first did, the film it bled. And so they kind of retroactively implied that, uh, that uh, a Cornish blood doesn't clot. So he probably bled to death. Oh, true. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I mean, it doesn't clot. It's so... I mean, chronologically, in terms of Star Wars things being released, that was literally the very first time you ever got to see a lightsaber be used against Pondababa. Yeah. So uh, it's it, it's a very well-done explanation for, yeah, we hadn't come up with the rules yet. Um, yeah, Aqualish yeah, blood doesn't clot so apparently they just bleed out if you hit them with a lightsaber um <laughs> if you stab them they'll just bleed until they die <laughs> jesus oh god I... um yeah well anyway oh, that is the that the, those are the that's the breakdown of the character posters themselves again like you know we just speculate for the sake of speculating for something like this like uh, yeah, but something else you could sort of talk about is that um all over all four of the character posters, there's a lot of Gamorrean, um, uh, Gamorrean uh, uh, graffiti. I was about to call them Gamorrean guards. Yeah. But, uh, they're guards in Jabba's palace. They're not guards by birth. Um, so, you know, it's in keeping with what we saw of them in that, like, arena uh, in the first trailer. So that's most... I'm thinking that whatever planet Mando is on in that, like, you know, little arena area, that's the same planet that they mm. would, you know... <laughs> To use the, to turn a phrase, they're having their pictures taken here. That's where on the on the same planet, um, yeah. So I guess that's sort of interesting <laughs> to think about that they're that it's sort of all in the same ballpark in that. Area. No, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. know. All I know is that we are two weeks away from Mando season two, and I'm very excited. Um, I think Michael and I were already talking about. Uh, you know, I think you'll um, find that this 100 percent both confirms Ponda Baba, Sabine Wren, and <laughs> Darth Maul. They're all coming back. 100 percent confirmed. Hey, no, I'd love to see more of Maul in some area, not in this area because he's even though Maul point. is dead. Even though Maul is dead <laughs> at this point <laughs> in, in the chronology, no, I, I just want to see. I mean, hey, we, didn't I mean, stop we, him in the past. Hey, we briefly talked about Crimson Dawn. I would just, I just want to see what happened to Maul between Solo and Rebels. What took him from the leader of Crimson Dawn to being a, uh, a, a helpless exile on Malachor? But um, that's that's. It's probably Kira. Yeah. Backstabbed him. It's yeah, probably. Kira, I reckon. Uh, well, that was back when we were still getting uh, <laughs> Solos two and three. Solo sequel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh wow. Uh... 
Yeah, but there you go. So that is the end of our news uh, segment, guys. I hope you enjoyed the uh, very tame news this week. There's not a lot of it, but there's um, a little bit to consider. Uh, Oh, that's just another thing I quickly wanted to mention is that, like, you know, that shot that you see of Mando in the cave shooting, you know, his gun. Look... You know, I'm I'm holding on to the idea that this is Ilum and Ahsoka has come into this cave yeah. to find refuge, and Definitely. and and she's who Mando is shooting at because she's doing this the whole thing where like she's messing with him like Maul did with Savage Press when they were in that cave before he finds him. Like I'd love to have a similar scene where he's walking through and Ahsoka's yeah. like shadow just like darts past. I think that'd be such a cool scene. And then like you know, Ahsoka once... also gone insane with her horns like growing really. <laughs> And have spider legs? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, yeah. Couldn't tell you. I'm just excited to see her back. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so mm. that's the end of our new segment, guys, again. Um, so, we will get into our main segment for the day, and we're making good time, because, Michael, we're only 20 minutes in. Uh, so... Nice. As uh, in, uh, so basically, guys, this is uh, what you would like to call the ninth installment of our little Skywalker saga retrospective. I imagine we'll at one point talk about Solo and Rogue One, but for right now, we're talking about the Skywalker saga itself and the movie that wrapped it up. Uh, episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, the most recent Star Wars film that we've gotten. It's it's not even a year old yet, so it's still very fresh in our minds. Mm-hmm. My cinema experience fresh. seeing Rise of Skywalker is still very fresh in my mind. Um, Do we have to say uh, spoilers then? Because uh, just in case you haven't seen it, it's I a fresh review. It, I, fresh I, I mean, it's really... It's it's not. It came out in December. We're going to spoil it's, the it's, film. It's almost a year old, but if you haven't seen it, yeah, just click yeah. away and, you know, there'll be time codes. We are you definitely spoiling. We cannot possibly no, talk we'll about spoil- this film without yeah. talking about choices made in it. <laughs> we'll be spoiling the crap out of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. So uh, Star Wars being the biggest franchise on the planet, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast, I'd be concerned. But if you haven't seen it, then spoilers ahead. Uh, so yeah. I guess we'll start out with this um, very divisive film, much like The Last Jedi was a divisive film, Rise of Skywalker was a divisive film, but a lot of, but in a lot of different ways. But nonetheless... I, I feel think... like there was a lot more consensus on the divisiveness of it. If you that's know what true. I, mean. I think that's a good way to put like, it. Last Jedi was like... You either, oh yeah, this is a great Star Wars film, or this is the destruction of humanity incarnate in a Star Wars <laughs> film. Whereas, um, whereas Rise of Skywalker was everyone was like, I guess that kind of wasn't great though, was it? That was kind of like bad. Well, yeah, let's Even not. Though, let's, I mean, I mean, yeah, let's just. Pop right I mean, it since you've said I mean, it, is... it could go either way. Um, I think we'll just start out by asking the very same yes or no question that we've done for Force Awakens oh, and Last no. Jedi. Um, uh, Michael, yes or no, do you like The Rise of Skywalker? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, yeah, okay, please ask me. Uh, Jack Stardust, <laughs> one, two, three. Do you like Rise of Skywalker? No, I do not like Rise of Skywalker. And, uh, and, uh, Too much I got... consensus in the podcast. I... We need some conflict. Yeah, no, you know what? Um... I think Michael and I agree on the fact that having watched it again, because Michael, I understand that this is that uh, in preparation for you know us talking about it, that is only your mm. second time seeing it. Second believe, time, yeah. I believe my that this was my fourth. I've watched it twice right. on top of me seeing it in the cinemas before yesterday. Uh, so I have seen right. the film four times now, and um, right. I, I, I mean I got to say 
the more times I watch it, flaws you know seem to become much more prominent. The main reason yeah. I really don't like Rise of Skywalker, Michael, is it is because out of all the other Star Wars movies that we have, Rise of Skywalker is by far the one that I have the least respect for. And 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 what I mean oh, by yeah. that, what I mean by that is that it feels so much like as to to quote uh, Leia. Um, you know, I am not a committee. This film was. This film felt like it was made by a committee because the yeah. people who were making Rise of Skywalker knew, regardless of anyone's interpretation of it, they knew how much Last Jedi was. Um, how much? Uh, you know, how 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 much it divided the fan base. So they yeah. went out of their way at multiple points to say, "Don't worry." toxic fans we're going to we're going to uh retcon or yeah. get rid of everything specifically that you didn't like and not just getting rid of it literally devote devoting whole scenes and lines of dialogue yeah. to uh, snuffing out things that people didn't like about the yeah. previous film oh um uh we need to buy some holo maneuvers do some real damage come on that move is one in a million uh a jedi's like, weapon yeah. deserves more respect uh only giving rose seven words in the movie um, I'll get, we'll get to Rose. There's we'll an exact Rose. point I want to talk about with Rose. But yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. Like, it's already not great when you make a Star Wars film to just, like, pander directly to fans. Like, sure, like, you can add things in there that fans will enjoy, like Mandalorian style. Like, throw in a couple of references that the fans can be like, oh, that's really cool. But, like, making a film directly just to pander to their every will, it's like, it's not how you make a good piece of art or whatnot. But to pander to the worst part of the Star Wars community and do things directly directly that they were like, we need this done or it's not a good Star Wars film and just basically ruin it for everyone who enjoyed the originals. And then the people who were complaining about The Last Jedi didn't like it anyway because they still had problems with it because they had problems with everything. Yeah, it's, no, I, yeah, it's, it's true. I, I agree, hundred percent. Disrespect is like this. Just, you don't have, you can't have respect for it, for doing those choices. There, there, look, there, there, there's a difference between you know, uh, you know, making a movie with things in mind that you probably should change, like George Lucas putting Jar Jar in a lot less of Attack the Clones, something like that. That's fine. Yeah. But when you go out of your way to like, like we just said, devote entire scenes to saying, <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you know, this thing that you didn't like be, about the last movie. Yeah. yeah, you know what? You know what? If, it would be if like if they are uh, in in Attack of the Clones, if there was a scene where they crucify or like just kill Jar Jar in the most gratuitous way possible, just to be yeah. like, see, see, look, we killed him for you. Do you like us now? Yeah, you know what? It actually, and my, and I'm about to get very obscure here. So if you haven't, you know, if you're not up with this film, then Go you know, obscure, uh, have you have do, you, have you seen the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Michael? I have seen all of them except the fourth one. Okay, yeah, that's fine. No, that, that's so that's that's me too. I haven't watched the fourth one because it's yes. bad. Um, well, anyway, guys, I'm not sure. But I've seen the fifth the... one. I've seen I've seen the fifth one. No, me too. I've seen one, two, three, hey. and five. <laughs> that's that's why we do a podcast together, Michael. Am um, I doing a podcast with myself? <laughs> a lot of the time, it feels like it yeah. is. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so I'm not sure if you, anyone who's listening, has seen the Pirates movies. But there is a certain uh, okay, basically, at the end of the second movie, you know, uh, Barbosa, Jeffrey Rush's character, comes back to life and whatever. He comes down the stairs and it's the cliffhanger for the third movie. And because Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow had, you know, quote-unquote, died in the same film, but he had been brought back to life, the gap between the second and third movies had everyone saying, oh, so why can this person be brought back to life, but that person can't be brought back to life? Meh, meh, meh. So in the third film, in reply to all that criticism, they literally have a uh, um, two... 
characters, two side characters in yep. the Pirates films, yep. say, hey, why could that person be brought back to life, but that person couldn't? And then, um, and then uh, you know, uh, one of the characters gives an explanation or whatever, and then the character does everything but turn to the camera with, like, a winky face and say, well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Like... I, when yeah. I saw when I saw that, I'm just like, oh my god, they are oh. so pandering to the to the toxic fans, and it reminds yeah. me so much of that in everything the Rise of Skywalker does. Too. It is it is lazy writing. That's no it's other like, way that you can we say want it. this, but we don't want the consequences of doing this. So we're just gonna unwrite. We're just gonna write them away. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think maybe I would just talk quickly about something that I like about the Rise of Skywalker. First of all. Sure. As it is in the sequel trilogy, all the acting is never bad, all right? It's all very good. Um, I think that Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, um, I almost called him Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac, Poe Dameron. They're, all, they're, they're all very good. Um, I think, I think this, this is some of their best work. I think so too, yeah. Um, I think that C-3PO has a fantastic role in this film. C-3PO uh, is the standout performance to me in this film. Legit, that's my, that was like my takeaway. Every scene he is in, hilarious. Previously yeah. in films, when C-3PO shows up, it's like, you know, it's it's going to be hit and miss. Like, in the prequels, probably more miss than hit. The original trilogy, more hit, but like, and then like early sequel trilogy, you know, certain hits and miss. He hit so many times for me. I laughed, yeah. like, legitimately, so many times. I, I can't remember specific lines now, but like, especially his interactions with Poe Dameron and Finn, yeah. hilarious. Yeah, so no, good. I, I mean, a lot of the time... I, I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of how, like, you know, he's used in a contextual standpoint, given, like, you know, what yeah. role he plays in the actual plot itself. But if we're going off of, you know, his character moments and how good Anthony Daniels is as C-3PO, he is yeah. definitely the shining star of Rise of Skywalker. There's a part where he's just like, well, that was the only clue to the dagger. And C-3PO is just spying by himself. And he's like, that's true. Yeah. The only, it only exists in my memory now. <laughs> and then it's, there's like an awkward silence because none yeah. of them have made it, made the connection. And it's, it's, it's quite funny. Exactly. Um, yeah. Also, JJ, uh, I do have a lot of problems with, you know, JJ in general for this movie, but something that I won't fault him on is how the film looks because like Force Awakens, the movie is visually stunning. The CGI is, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, uh, argue that it's all very well done. But um, a lot of the stuff I, I did like about that, but a lot of my gripes for JJ comes from a writing perspective because, you know, he did write this film as well as directing it. And... I, re Look, I remember I, my favorite part. So you go, you go. Okay. okay yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Look, I don't know what it is about JJ and the fact that he can't make movies without MacGuffins. Whether it's the, yeah. what is it? The super blood in Star Trek. It's the map in mm. Force Awakens. And it's the Wayfinder and the magic knife in Rise of Skywalker. Um, Look, you you mentioned it before we went on, Michael. This entire plot hinges on the fact that yeah. they need to go find a thing that will unlock the, uh, the the location of a thing that will lead them to a person and a planet. Um, no, it's it's even more than that. They need to find a thing to help them find a thing which will lead them to a place where they can find the person. It's yeah, like, exactly. It's just so contrived. Yeah. Um, look, I understand that you want to make this cool, like, you know, mystery, like Indiana Jones sort of like, art, like, you know, um, 
yeah. uh, uh, cool like you know thing where you need to go find artifacts and stuff. But in terms of the universe itself, and in terms of how actual people do things, because a cardinal sin that you can make when you're writing a film or something like that doesn't matter if it's Star Wars or not. It's it's that it needs to reflect what could actually happen in real life, and this just isn't yeah. something that you know anyone could buy. How does the knife line up with the I know of the that Death was, Star? I'm like it's what. Oh, how like yeah okay not only does it need to have just did they create the knife after the debris was there so like perfectly match where it would line up in which case who created it did luke create it palpatine definitely didn't create it because he was dead or in hiding or whatnot secondly they're in the exact spot where it lines up to then point at the room who's cre- also here's the thing the idea is that luke and whatnot have been looking for this thing right well luke's been in hiding for whatnot like however many years, did they just leave the spaceship just there for, like, all that time and just no scavenger ever chose to, like, go and steal a perfectly working spaceship for how many years? What is going on? I know. That's the thing. When Lando says, you know, I was I was here with Luke looking for... What's his name? Ochi? Like, who the hell yeah, is o- Ochi? Seriously. Um, and they say, yeah... Right, we're- it was important. Yeah, we we tracked him to we tracked him to this planet, but we couldn't find anything. But his ship is like out in the open, and not only yeah. that, but where they find the knife, right? It's in that underground thing after they sink in the quicksand, and then they find yeah. it like you know in the in the ruins when they get to find Ochi's skeleton and stuff. But yeah. that sinking pit is in the middle of just nothing but sand. It stands yeah. out like a sore thumb. How did they not? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. And this idea that like, oh yeah, Luke couldn't find anything. Well, we need to do it again. Let's, let's give it another go. Maybe we'll get something. It's, yeah. I don't know. It feels like, yeah, as you said, they want to do like a treasure hunting thing, but like either JJ or whoever wrote it can't write treasure hunting or it just does not fit the way that they did it. Just does not fit in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's so true. You know, I mean, like we were talking about it with Trey last week is that JJ came out and said shortly after Last Jedi came out that Ryan Johnson made him want to be a braver filmmaker, right? And that's all well and good, but I'm getting no evidence of that in Rise of Skywalker whatsoever. Um, but, but anyway, I, is the, I did is the... want to say the one thing that when we were talking about C3PO, how there were so many good lines, my yeah. favorite line in the film is so, so Poe Dameron's like, what is this? And when they see the festival and C3PO is like the Aki Aki festival of the ancestors, the celebration occurs every once every 42 years. And Finn like sarcastically says, well, that's lucky. And C-3PO <laughs> says, lucky indeed. This festival is known for both its colorful kites and delectable sweets. And they all just turn round and just <laughs> stare at him. And no. then he turns round to look behind him. No, that's it's the that's... best line in the film. No, I agree. Like, I, I, I don't think, I think I've that... ever laughed harder in a Star Wars film than at that moment. The way he delivers the line is very funny. He's, and it's delectable sweets. It's, 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 yeah. it's very, it's, it's cheesy and it's cringy, but it's very on par with Amazing. how C-Troop, it's very on par with how C-3PO would speak. Yeah. And the way that, you know, they that's right, they all turn over to, to turn to C-3PO to be like, are you kidding me? And then as they no. do, C-3PO turns around like, what are you looking at? Yes. It's, it is His very only funny. assumption is, oh, they can't be staring at me. There must be something behind me. It's yeah. so good. Um, that is yes. the most C-3PO moment. It's great. No, so apologies for bringing that, but it's good. Um, uh, I do also just have to talk briefly about the fact that C-3PO definitely has a major role in this movie. R2-D2 yeah, he's does not. Again, um, again oh, R2-D2, R2-D2 is, is treated 
poor, very poorly in the sequel trilogy, especially in Rise of Skywalker because okay. he's in it. To for be like fair, two... yeah, he's just hardly in it. He does, however, do the X-wing with the uh, Poe, which is fun. I do like That's that true. because that, we've that... previously done stuff with uh, with uh, BB-8. BB-8, what's his yeah. name, BB-8. So that was fun. But yeah, again, plot wise and also just pure screen time, hardly in this film. Yeah. Uh, well, as far as we're talking about plot, let's talk about the uh, the. Uh, I was going to say the, the the main daddy of them all, but it's technically the main granddaddy of them all. Let's talk about Palpatine Grand, for a minute. You say um, grand, your grandpappy, more like grandpalty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about Palpatine. Okay. Um, yeah. First of all, oh. I think that, I think that Ian McDermott is awesome in this movie. He is, I think he's great. He's good. He, um, he is, he's he a is, perfect amount of ha- hamming it up, but also like just pure yeah. threatening. It's great. Ian McDermott. Great. That's where it stops. Oh. Why is the is Palpatine is in yeah. this movie? Why is he here? Ryan Johnson set Kylo Ren up to be the main baddie at the end of The Last Jedi, and it would have worked so well, yeah. not only because of the fact that that's something that we had never seen in Star Wars, not only because yeah. just before I went to the cinema to go see it, I said, if Kylo Ren turns good, I'm not going to be as invested because, it's, <laughs> because we've seen that all before. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, it's just it felt like such a wasted opportunity but, that that Kylo would go from killing a Snoke in Last Jedi and being the person who who doesn't want to adhere to someone else's structure and literally yeah. within the first 10 minutes of the movie he is doing the bidding of the next evil guy in the chair. It makes no yeah. sense. It, it's he's, he's had an, he had an uh, abusive relationship with his, with a partner before, and he moves straight on to another one. Well, I guess, yeah, you're, you're not but wrong. Here's the thing: it's like right in Last Jedi, we had like the throne Emperor's throne room scene from Return of the Jedi in that film, where it's like, oh, there, there's a space battle outside, and then the the apprentice has taken the Jedi user to the those are the master and we had that whole scene but then it subverts it and just like then they team up i, I guess technically it does happen in return of the jedi but like in a way you don't suspect where he was like the the the, the apprentice becomes the evil one and it's like it subverts that whole thing then they throw that away and just do the expected thing again I, it's, it's just i i don't know i don't know why like we had that. this in the previous film it's like what it's George Lucas's, uh, um, uh, what is it? Feedback to Bob Iger uh, for the Force Awakens. He said that there was nothing new. Uh, if there's mm. anything that was nothing new in any of the sequel trilogies, I think that applies most to Rise of Skywalker, because yeah. it's just it, they they discarded what could have been you know something that we hadn't seen before. Even something like Colin Trevorrow's script. If you read it, it's very. Um, uh, you know, not like different. anything we've seen before. It's very different. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but this is just, uh, it, it's very one note, I feel. And uh, we uh, we briefly talked about it last week because like we were talking about that, that entire discussion, it's gotten to the point now where you can't talk about Rise of Skywalker without Last Jedi. But the idea yeah. to make Palpatine raise grandfather was... Grandpalpy. Yeah. Grand Palpy, exactly. When we when we heard his laugh in the in the oh. trailer, I was like, "Wait, wait, what?" And because it's new information and stuff, your blind Star Wars brain automatically has a positive reaction. But then yeah. when but then when you actually have a moment to think about it, I think, "Wait, no," because that detracts from Anakin's sacrifice. Um, I just assumed it was like uh, like a false ghost, like evil type thing. 
Yeah. Didn't didn't even consider the fact, oh yeah, he's just gonna be the main villain. He's just back. He's yeah. just didn't die. Well, it's to this point, it's it it's uh, like you know, I've heard this comparison be made before because of his involvement in this movie. This saga is the Palpatine saga, not the Skywalker saga, because he's yeah. the villain of all three trilogies. Um, exactly. It's, it's... Hey, hey, you know, right, interesting thing though, when they do like first show him, there is like like a kind of like nod to like how he came back, which like yeah, true. Um, there are many sides to the Force some consider to be unnatural. The line which is from the Revenge of the Sith. Plagueis. Yeah. yeah. The thing is though, it's I feel like it's implying like oh. He clearly knows and learnt from Plagueis. That's how he has his power to bring people back from the dead. Except the whole point of the Plagueis line is that he can't save himself. <laughs> he I can just... save others from death, but not himself. Except Pal- Pal- Palpatine could, because Palpatine's Palpatine. Yeah. What? Um, I just, uh, I don't what know. was the point of including that line? I don't. It, yeah. It's. It, I'll tell you what the way. Uh, I'll tell you why they included the line because they couldn't explain why he was back at all. So they decided to just yeah. say, "Oh, you know, dark side of the force brings our natural stuff, guys. That's how it works." Um, and, yeah. and that's and that's why. But also, and, there's like a number of times they try to explain it, but not actually explain it. Like there's that where it's like, "Look, it's the dark side. It just does things." But then there's times where uh, where Maria uh, um, uh, Doc. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mary starts like all oh, cloning or like other things. It's possible. However, he does it. I don't know why he went cock me. I don't know. Why, well, like, I don't know either. Um, well, it's like when he suggests it... like three different things. It's like, oh yeah, it could happen. You know, I don't know. Well, it another thing is that look. Uh, not only does this movie not have a lot of uh, respect for Last Jedi, but a lot of the time in this movie, I felt like there were many instances where. Not only was that the case, but the people behind the, um, but behind like the writing and the filmmaking of the movie itself weren't invested in the Star Wars universe enough to even care in a lot of ways. Because not only does that does does that character say you know dark science cloning secret of the Sith knew. Uh, well, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a little thing called the Clone Wars, where the clones mm. fought for the Jedi. But also there's the, a line that I resented from the moment I heard it. And even John Boyega yeah. called it out in the press, you know, junkets yeah, yeah. for um, Rise of Skywalker exactly. is that part where they go, they fly now, they fly now and stuff like that. Oh uh, yeah. They've been flying for years. Yeah. <laughs> they've been flying for, it's all right. They've just, I, I feel like it's interesting with, with the first order because we get like Disney Star Wars thing at the time we get it in like a, Stormtroop, like the uh, Empire era and the First Order era. So what I mean is, like, the first when we first see this Empire, they're kind of like basic and whatnot because they need to like make things interesting, like comic appearances or video game appearances. We see more appearances of more like armor, more gear, like jet troopers or extra um, vehicles or whatnot in the Empire. But then yeah. when we get to see the First Order again in the right in uh force awakens they're basically just the basic empire again and then in later appearances they get more stuff so it's like they just kind of reset to being like oh yeah we're just regular first order again um it isn't until like the next film that they get interesting spaceships and then the film after that they get interesting like soldiers or whatnot it's like i don't know it doesn't make sense i agree i mean yeah so i guess we've talked about the 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 plot in a lot of ways. We talked about Palpatine. I guess we could talk about if Ray. We were, bit, I, right? So I, okay. Before I just want to say before we get to Ray. Well, yeah, I guess I mean we can get to it if we want. But you're talking about lines that like that like are just 
terribly included, which this does lead into Rose. When I first saw it, I'm like, oh, it's kind of disappointing that like Rose isn't really in it, but I, I kind of missed this specific part. There is a specific part where Finn asks Rose, they've decided they're all going to go on the adventure. Yes. Finn asks Rose, oh boy. do you want to come? Do you want to be a main character in this film, Rose? Come join us. Have a good time. <laughs> Rose is like, nah, I got to do something for the princess or whatnot, but you guys win the war for us. Why the heck did Rose not go with them? Not only like in universe, sure. Outside of universe, she's like one of the main characters in the show for the next film. She so easily could have just been the fourth person. To, I mean, I guess Cthulhu is the fourth, but the fourth human to go with them. Rose should have said yes and gone with them. This film is horrible because of it. And it's it's look. There's no. You're you're right. Like you know, in terms of you know characters and stuff, like there's nothing that they end up doing that Rose would have been needed for. But in a contextual universe reason, there is no reason why Rose wouldn't go with them because she became such an integral part in the last film. She's a main um, character. She did. She became a main character. And that's why, like, even with something like Colin Trevorrow's script, like we just mentioned, she shows up in the first scene having gone on multiple missions with Poe and Finn. Like, he mm. had the right idea because he wasn't pandering to fans who just didn't want her there. So people were just like, oh, don't worry, we're going to um, we're, we're going to bow to on our knees to the toxic Star Wars fan base and not include what you guys didn't like. Any movie that yeah. does that, I just can't have respect for it because that's not how exactly. movies should... That's not how movies or films should be made at all. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're Star Wars just, or not. We've mentioned in the past, it's like, how, it's like three minutes or whatever. How much screen time does Rosa? Oh, I don't know. She has like it's, a couple sentences to say. She says she yeah, has that... Yeah. Yeah, it's hardly anything. Like by far, like there are a lot of problems I have with this film and a lot of choices like that we can get into the characters, the reasons why they did things. But by far out of all of them, the most, like the most, the thing that lost the least, the thing that lost the most respect from this film for me was how they treated Rose and how, especially how she was so targeted after, after uh, Last Jedi and how they're yeah. just like, okay, she's just not in this film, basically. We got rid of her. Are you happy now? I, uh, that was like the worst yeah exactly like that's the thing is that after kelly marie tran was so horribly treated by yeah. horrible people online like the star wars community not like and by star wars community i mean the people who make the movies bob Iger, everyone in charge of disney said you know we stand with kelly marie tran sort of st st like you know stuff like that can't happen whatever mm. they said right but if yeah. you say that and then openly say but don't worry we're not going to include her because we know you guys don't like her that's yeah. just that's that's terrible. No one action no, speak louder than words. Exactly. No and... film or or company or doesn't like you know in terms of that sort of side of Star Wars that's just become so um, hyperbolic in in recent years should never be treated like that. And that's why I really just lost a lot of respect for not only this movie but the people who made it once I saw it and have watched it a couple of other times. Um, like I feel like a lot of people it's not them. like like artists or even just like like costume designers or even the actors really didn't have a say in it. it's like the people at the top like the head people who are making the decisions maybe it was the writers maybe it was disney saying people didn't like this we want to make more money so do this i don't yeah. know but it, whoever did it's like it's such a cowardly thing to do it's like it we is, want to have the cowardly. public it's a great word yeah we want we want to have the public opinion that's good it's like oh yeah we stand with that actress we we don't think bullying is good however we want to make the bullies win by like getting giving them what they want it's just 
I mean, yeah. Hit the nail right on the head there, Michael. It's the, it's a double-edged sword, and they're stabbing themselves either way. <laughs> uh, it's mm. just... Yeah, it's just... I don't know what to say about it because it just makes me. It actually just makes me really angry. <laughs> Honestly, it makes it, it really it really frustrates me. That yeah, something like, like a lot of the weird choices, like whatever. Ray Palpatine. I think it's a terrible decision. I think it just like completely undoes what the awesome choices that were made in the previous film. However, it doesn't make me angry. It's just a Star Wars film. I don't care. Yeah. However, Rose, the way that they treated Kelly Marie Tran, that makes me angry. It does. No, I absolutely agree. And yeah, I guess, yeah, well, I mean, well, let's talk about Ray now. You just mentioned her. Um, look, and it sort of lends into the Palpatine thing we were just talking about, is that I was already sceptical enough when Palpatine was coming back and there were, because I knew yeah. that that would undermine Anakin's journey, all right, as the Chosen One. Yeah. That was bad enough. When I realised that not only was he undoing Anakin's storyline, but also Ray's storyline, it just... Oh, God. Because when he said, you don't just have his power. Uh, sorry, you don't just have power. Yeah. You have his yeah. power. No, no, no. Please don't. don't, 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 don't you are yeah. Palpatine. No! All the, dif- <laughs> all the different it's... times leading up to it where they just kind of like subtly reference it where Palpatine's like, oh, you should get her. She's really strong or whatnot. And I'm like, oh, no, they're doing, are they doing this? But then also like there's a subtle reference, as you were saying, and then just straight up they just say it. Like it kind of, they don't really build up for it as much as the previous time. I laughed in the cinema, just straight up laughed. And again, <laughs> right here, even though I knew it was coming when it happened again and he says it, I can't not laugh because one, the delivery of it in just the context of everything is absurd, but also just the idea of it is just hilarious to me and that's, not in a good way. That, that's also something I don't like about it is how it's actually revealed, like literally specifically yeah. how it's revealed because he just says it. There's no, mm. like, it, when something like that, when you want it to, at least, you know, how they were it's, wanted it to be, like a big reveal. It's like if like Yoda, it's it's like if yeah. Yoda was just like, when when everything's going on, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, Leia's your sister. Luke works that out. Luke yeah. is like able to feel it. Like if, the, all right, even if I don't think it would have been a good choice, if they had have just done it where like Rey was like struggling with her dark side, which is shown in this film, she's struggling with her dark side realizes Palpatine's coming up, but then just kind of like in her own way kind of have like reveals, like she always knows this about herself, but then just kind of it discovers it through like occurrences and like or through natural things. It would have been at least more interesting than just Kylo being like, oh yeah, by the way, I lied slash didn't know before when I said you were from no one. You actually were from people. And then all right. And then he's like, I didn't actually lie when I said that they sold you for slavery into slavery. <laughs> they actually they were sold you to protect you. That is an exact line. And I'm like, dude, did this guy just pull us from? I was actually what I said was true from a certain point of view on her. It's exactly what he did. Um, he did. Because, he pulled it over one. But I don't know. But I don't care if he says I didn't lie to you. Your parents were no one. What do you mean they were no one? Her her father was the son of Emperor Palpatine. I know. It's just it. Oh God. It's it's. Um, it's, oh. you, you can't look at, look us in the eye yeah. and say that her parents were no one when one of her parents is the descendant yeah. of Sheev himself. Um, it's Sheev, just, boy. yeah. And look, the, the idea of Ray struggling with her dark side would have made, yeah. well, they, they still would have been able to do that even if Palpatine mm. wasn't in the movie because they did it That's what they well were building in- up in the previous film with exactly. my, one of my favourite lines from The Last Jedi, which is, you went straight to the dark side. You didn't even hesitate. You went straight there. Yeah, it's no, like the, reason, the, the, uh, the reason that I bought Ray's 
like you know slowly gradual gradualizing herself to the dark is because this entire time in her entire life she's looked for something to call home or something to call hers and when luke says about you know her going straight to the dark it offered something you needed and you didn't try to stop yourself i completely believe that i believe that she wouldn't try to stop herself because mm. if she finds something that she feels she needs she's going to take it and that was the dark side for her and if that was something that could be carried over to this movie where she's struggling with that more and then she 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 you know she struggles with it she has darker moments where she either loses her cool with finn or poe and or accidentally like you know goes harder like on, <laughs> on an enemy than she should have something like accidentally that accidentally almost a... kills dewey or so, i mean yeah i mean i mean we we laugh here's about a... it but it would have been yeah. good yeah it's... here's the thing uh wait one that is kind of like Oh, yeah, that wasn't actually a thing. I mean, it was kind of for a character, but, like, we didn't actually want to kill Chewie because that would have been horrible. Oh, we'll get but into I feel that. Like, yeah. I feel like the way they were building it up, even if, like, as you were saying, you didn't want Kylo Ren to be evil, I feel like if they had have done something... Oh, no, something I did. I wanted him to be unex- evil. Sorry, sorry, you, you didn't want him to be good, I meant to say. That's even right. if they did something unexpected, like, like, kind of, like, unexpected, like, where they kind of did a switcheroo, where, like, Kylo Ren gets redeemed but then ray is the one that just like fully embraces the dark side at least that would be fresh and interesting exactly. that would have been new. and not just return of the jedi again yeah no exactly a lot of this stuff in terms of the ending and how characters turn out it is very much return of the jedi again you're absolutely right um no, there and- are so many parts of this film like we're talking about all the big things but like this is like two and a half so many times watching this film I just had little things like, oh my, I just noticed so many things. I really wish I could just watch, I, I kind of really want to watch this film in person next to you, just like sit with you and just like have a gra- gra- uh, grab a like box of popcorn and just like point out all the stupid things in this film. That'd be so much fun because there take, are so many, forever. <laughs> there are so many small choices in this film and so many small things they put in there that I just like kept laughing at or just being like, what, why would they, why would they do that? It's so true. Look, they, like, okay, well, this is a good idea. Well, you know what? Let's just go through them for a little bit. First of all, my main thing again isn't a big, like, you know, uh, you know, overarching thematic problem. It's just a thing. This whole idea of Exegol, right, being the yeah. ancient, the ancient home so, of this, the ancient home of the Sith. No, it's not. It's no, Korriban. it's not. It's Korriban or Moriband or however you want to, yeah. or whatever you want to choose, call it. And you can't say that that's our uh, legends, blah, blah, blah. Because Moriband has shown up in Clone Wars. Yoda goes into it in that last arc of season six. And, yep. uh, and R2-D2 has been there himself. Like, you know, seriously, uh, at no point did R2-D2... Yeah, R2-D2 not- just a couple of beeps was like, actually, I've been to the home of the Sith and it's not where we are. So Exactly. It's how- so true. How- hang on. Palpatine has been there too. He has. It's just, oh my god. It's just again this idea of them going like you know, oh they fly now. But it, it's, it's this idea that yeah, you can write however you want, sure. But you also have to remember that you are in a universe with forty years of preconceived stuff that you can't just ignore because you don't know how to write it. It's just. I feel like this is a similar criticism to what a lot of people have with The Last Jedi. Although what I would say about The Last Jedi is, one, The Last Jedi actually did things that was interesting and new, so it could, I feel like, get away with it. But two, even then, a lot of the things that were in The Last Jedi that people said were contradictory or whatnot were, were like, ambiguous enough or just, like, kind of different in a way that, like, it didn't... You could interpret it in a way it's, like, it's not a 
destroying of what we previously did. It's like a continuation and a new thing. Whereas this is just like, actually, we want the previous things that happened to be happening, but we want it to be our thing. So it's like, we'll just do that and just say it was that. I don't know. It's... You can find a mixture of both. You really can. Yeah. Is that, it, and it's a lot of the time I feel like this movie was just like, no, what we write is what goes. And uh, and, and mm. that's why I really don't. And so, yeah, I mean, let's move on and talk about something else that's like really small, but also very stupid. Uh, yeah. Dengar. Dengar is in oh. this movie. Dengar is in this movie, but at the same time, he's not because I forgot he's to that, check. I forgot to com- check where he was. Where is he? Which, which part? Oh, he's he's in like the small. It's it's right as C three PO says, "Excuse us," when they go into that uh, bar on Kijimi, which does have the cool cameo by John Williams, John which Williams. is yeah. which is very cool. Uh-oh. I do like that. But right next to C three PO, there is a character named Rathgar Deng. All right, Rathgar Deng, D E N G, is the last name. Um, and basically, in, if you read the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, it was revealed yeah. that that is actually Dengar, some of people's favorite characters from in terms of like bounty hunters and stuff. He's so cool, voiced by Simon yeah. Pegg in the Clone Wars. And basically, what they <laughs> said is because he's gotten really old at this point, he's in a way of which he's sort of like refused to die, uh, replacing his body with robot parts and trading his like natural human skin into into for like you know younger cells and stuff like that to the point where he's become like this mutilated cyborg mm. and it looks so ugly like why would you do that to Dengar <laughs> Dengar's like, so cool on one sense it's kind of but like it kind of works with his character like it, that that is kind of Dengar's thing is he just kind of like adds bits to himself to make him live forever and he's yeah, just true. so far past his prime but yeah oh oh it looks so, so gross it is oh. awful why would they do that to to, to dengar seriously it gives like, you that feeling where you just feel uncomfortable like maybe like where you're watching like a violent film and something violent happens like sure like regular violence if it's just kind of like not very authentic or whatever you're just like oh it's just on screen but when there's that one violent thing that makes you like think about it like oh i don't like that it gave me that feeling it, it's, it, like, it's, it's something that you just like, oh, okay, I don't want to look at this guy anymore. Yeah, um, I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that at all. <laughs> so that's that's just another small thing, I suppose. Now, uh, yeah. I, I guess someone who I haven't talked about yet is uh, some of the new characters that you get in this movie. Uh, yeah. the, the, the two main ones being Kelly Russell's uh, Zori and Naomi yeah. Aki's um, uh, Janna who you meet on the uh, on, on Kef Beer, the place where the Death Star is. Now, let's talk about Zori for a minute. Uh, I love Kerry Russell. I think she's great in a lot of the stuff that she's in, whether it be Firefly or some of that stuff. I, I think she's very talented and she's worked with JJ in the past. That's half the reason she's even in this movie. But in terms of yeah. uh, Zori as a character, look, she doesn't do anything overly offensive, but there's she's just not okay, in she, enough. Firefly. Sorry? Oh, wait, did I say Firefly? No, I don't think I met Firefly. Um... Uh, oh crap! What's the what's the name of the show? Um, uh, it doesn't matter. It, it, let's just get back on track. Okay. Uh, so any, uh, yeah, yeah. So Sorry. she's she's cool and she's and you know I like Carrie Russell. But I think I like the character because I like Carrie Russell. But because of the character yeah. herself, she doesn't have a lot to do, and that mainly stems from the fact that you can't be introducing new characters and expect me to be invested in them when they're being sh- when they're showing up halfway through the last movie, like. What new characters were there on Turn the Jedi? No one but the Ewoks, really. 
alright? But if you want us to be invested in two characters that are actually walking and speaking and interacting with characters, I'm not going to be invested in them if they show up halfway through the third chapter in a trilogy. And something else, sort of just like, you know, contextual about the, the movie that makes no sense is that this, you know, this coin that Zori has? This, this, there's like yes. this coin that'll get her yeah. past like any the, blockade the, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Admiral's beacon or whatever. The Admiral's yes. code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this thing that she has, right? She not only uh, can this thing, I don't know why, it, look, it doesn't make sense. Look, any ship can get through any blockade as long as they have one. What happens if a millennium, if the Millennium Falcon, like, you know, goes right up to the Star Destroyer? Like, okay, Rebels, prepare to die. Ah, uh, sorry, no, we have this medallion coin. Oh, okay, then come right through. But also... Like, yeah, I think it's kind of implying that, like, oh, they're undercover, like, this proves they're Admiral, but, like, no one is stupid enough to be, like... Oh yeah, you have this admiral coin that like has gone missing clearly. Admiral like, coin. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it's called, like the the admiral's clearly reported it have gone missing. Plus, this yeah. is a, a ship known to be working with the villains. We're just gonna bring you in for questioning just in case. I feel like it only works if it's like a code that you send like from like far away or whatever. Any like actual suspicion, like looking into it, it's not gonna be particularly yeah. successful. But not only that, this is something that I would just like. But, but why is that like you know something that becomes very clear in this in that moment that Zori and Poe have on the roof is that Zori hates this place that she's on Kajimi like she hates it she says mm-hmm. I can't stand the screams anymore blah 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 like all that all that stuff she hates this place and it's somewhere that she wants to get away from and she's like I've saved up enough I've saved up enough to get out I'm going to the colonies because I have this medallion coin right and then mm-hmm. in the next scene when Poe Finn and Ray are running away she still doesn't even really like them but as they're moving she's just like here take this take the coin and you know yeah and 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 look i understand that it's what needs to propel the story along but there's no reason why she would just give it up so easily if you set up this idea that she wants to get away from this place so badly like i feel like it's part of this idea that the uh that the sequel trilogy and i guess solo especially is building up that like everyone innately even though like sometimes they try and like put like their own lives above it everyone just innately has this rebellion inside them that they just need to have be woken up and that when the moment comes they'll just do it which is kind of strange it's like 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 sure there is something like that in in the original trilogy with han solo where it's like he doesn't think he's going to help the rebellion but then like when the moment comes he does but i feel like that's more of an implication about his character about how he secretly is kind of like or not he secretly but like he has this heart of gold that when he like comes out and whatnot but like there's, there's always this idea that like, like they're the spark of the rebellion and whatnot and like everyone like they like like come across like regular people who will help them like when the end in the end it was like all of these regular people just kind of show up to fight i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this point but no that's yeah. no i do understand what you mean is that like you know they're trying to convey the idea that regardless of what they think they'll always do something that is sort of like rebellious to the main bad guy which is yeah. i guess an interesting thought but I just, I, I, I just have trouble buying it. Really, is that like literally? Yeah, especially because scene... you just, you've been introduced to her character as like someone who's clearly she works for like spice runners or whatnot. She's like in it for herself. But as soon as the moment comes for her, to like do something noble to help the rebellion or the resistance or whatever against the uh, first order, she's like, oh yeah, here's my life's work or like my recent goals and dreams. Here, take it. We yeah. just met again for the first time. I clearly don't even like you. Exactly. Now, another thing that I want to talk about is the concept of the Force 
in Rise of Skywalker, right? Not only... Mm. They, they, the, the Force, I don't think, is... The Force is not used well in this movie. And what I mean by that is that it's used as a plot point to, to move the scene forward when they don't know how to do something otherwise. The first instance of that is when they go back up to this Star Destroyer to rescue Chewie after they realise he's alive. And by the way, we'll get to that in a minute. Is... Um, mm. Look, they've already had the translation of the Sith uh, runes that were on the knife, right? They've already got that from C-3PO, okay? Um, yep. Basically, what that what that means is that they don't need the knife anymore because they, or at least to their knowledge, at least to their knowledge, they don't need the knife anymore because they have the translation and they have it from C-3PO, right? But then as Poe and Finn decide to go and get Chewie, Ray says, hang on, no, I gotta wait, I gotta go and get the dagger. And then they're like, why? They don't say this right out, but they're like, why? We already have the translation. We don't need it. And Ray says, a feeling, right? Like, look, I understand. It's a feeling. She feels it in the force that they still need it. And that would have been fine if they didn't use the same thing again in the final fight where they're just like, wait, where's the navigation signal coming from? And then Finn looks out the window, looks at the Star Destroyer and says, yeah, it's coming from that one. And then they were just like, how do you know? A feeling. Like, so, like yeah. at, at, at multiple points in this movie, I understand that the Force gives you sort of, like, intuition. It always has. Like, you know, from episode one, that's been the case. But to this, but at the, in the way in which they use it in this movie, it's used to the point where it's literally just used when they don't know how to give an answer to something. And that was something that really annoyed me. Because... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like it works all right with Finn. Because... In this film, there is like they're strongly implying, or just like I'm putting it out there, that Finn is force sensitive, that he is uses this idea of sensing things that the force kind of guides him. And that I works with his character to an extent, I think, because that's kind of like what he's been doing, is he's having to put trust again in this force that like is so like foreign to him. But with like you can't just use that as a catch-all for everything. And with Ray, I feel like it it's just not it 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 feels like it's a very like like new to the force like i don't know i'm just getting like a feeling of something in this direction whereas ray i feel like at this point has so much more control over it like she should be like yeah it's it's less of a uh, less of a feeling and she should be able to explain like yes I, I the force is telling me in this exact direction that i should go because this will help us i don't know but yeah yeah no i it's just uh, look it's not a big gripe but just something that i really didn't like because they just use this, yeah, it's a feeling thing. They use it twice, if not three times. I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, I guess something else I wanted to talk about quickly is uh, Chewie. Yep. Because Chewie, mm. look, sort of like C-3PO, this is probably his biggest film in the in the sequel trilogy. Maybe Force Awakens, maybe he has a little bit more time. I, I don't know. But um, look, the part where he dies, or, you know, quote-unquote dies. Yes. Right? Um, when you, we were talking about it with Trey last week, again, you know, when JJ said he wanted to be a braver filmmaker because of The Last Jedi, when I thought that he just flat out killed Chewbacca, I thought, okay, all right, well, I'm not the biggest fan of it because, you know, Chewie got to die off screen, but again, it's something that we wouldn't have expected and that's sort of good. But then literally no more than two minutes after he's, uh, they're just like, oh, don't worry, he's fine. Not only, uh, that's a problem for two reasons. The first reason is the one that I just said. But also, the second reason is a cardinal sin, not only in Star Wars, but also in filmmaking, is that it, mm. it, 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 um, what's the word? It, uh, it excludes us from the, from, from the characters themselves because we know, yep. but they don't know. Like mm. something that, you know, it, it's, it's something that's that, uh, a major part of this film. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for me, uh, lots of, lots of bad choices and whatnot. But just like a, an idea behind the film that I just 
can't really get behind. So much of this film feels like it was made for the audience, not the characters. Or so many things that happen. I feel like they happen because it's like, oh, it's the final part of the film. Or like, this is just for you guys at home. But that just wouldn't make any sense to the characters. Just so many yeah. things. Look, like a as a film lover, right? Something that, that that this is actually something that someone like Hitchcock did a lot, where because a lot of his protagonists aren't likable people, a lot of the time you do learn uh, the the audience learns something that the character doesn't, so that we sort of feel ostracized from the character and we can't and we're not able to connect with them. But that's what he wants because mm. these characters are not supposed to be liked, right? This same thing happens in Rise of Skywalker, where we know Chewie's alive, but they don't, alright? So we immediately feel ostracized from the people that we're supposed to be connecting with. And that's something that's just not something that, you're, that you can do if you want us to connect strongly and be invested in the main characters of a movie. And not only that, right? The, the reveal that Chewbacca is alive, if you wanted to not kill him at all, should have we should have found out when Rey found out, alright? Because that's just, I think that just works so much better than us learning right after he thinks, uh, right after we think he's dead, and then them finding out about 10 minutes later to the point where we're going, yeah, we already knew that, but you guys didn't. I'm not sure if I'm just rambling on at this point. All I want to, what I'm trying to say is, us learning stuff that they don't just makes me feel so disconnected from these people that you want us to connect with to the point where it's just not going to happen, okay? And it's not our yeah. fault. <laughs> I I actually quite like the way that they reveal that Chewbacca is real from Ray's perspective. Like, she gets this feeling. Like, she can sense him in the Force. Like, and it's yeah. just, like, this happiness. Where, like, he's alive. And then they have to, like... And then that just completely shifts their, like, uh, their priorities where they have to go focus on him. And if we had have gotten that... And then cut to Chewbacca being like shown to be alive, perfectly, perfectly fine. However, we see him alive immediately after he's killed. Pretty much, I feel like it's just so that people didn't like sit there and be like, "Oh my god, he's dead! What are we gonna do? Why would they do that?" And like, yeah. they're gonna make you feel like it's alright, guys. Don't worry, we didn't kill him. It's all good. Yeah, well, that's that's it's, just it. Like, that's, respect that's your just, audience. Exactly. That's just it. Michael, you know, how happy would we have been if after 20 minutes of film time, we I found know. out that, che- that Chewbacca wasn't dead? I would have been like, oh, great. Right? I mean, yeah. it's just... I'd be like, oh, they didn't kill another one. Yeah, thank God. Because that's the thing, is that right after I saw his transport explode, that immediate, uh, again, like when you, I feel like when you're in the cinema, you're not processing a lot of the stuff that you don't like because yeah. you're just watching a movie. So when that did happen and he did get exploded, that transport did blow up from, you know, Ray's force lightning. I was just like, look, I don't believe it, but if they did kill him like that, that's just so bad. Um, or because yeah. because, right. a, because a legacy character like Chewbacca, who is one of my favorite yeah. characters in all of Star Wars, if he had went out like that, I wouldn't have been a fan. Mm. But Okay. Um, Speaking of legacy characters, though, I feel like there's one major thing that we haven't brought up, which I feel like I have a lot to talk about, and that is Leia and how she is used in this film. Yes. Uh, every, every single scene with Leia, in my opinion feels like it was written around the dialogue they had 100 it's 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 like those like comedy sketches or whatever where they've got like a 10 second clip of like of like a famous person they just want to use that over and over again like there's a joke in the community or there's a joke in it and like uh rest of development or whatnot like it feels like that where like they're so limited based on the lines they have they just have to be so weirdly specific or just like lean into it be like oh yeah here it is and there's like one thing where 
there are three different times in the film where Leia hands or is handed back Luke's lightsaber to Rey. It's like, did they shoot this just a bunch of times? And that's like, like all the footage they had. Yes. I don't know. It, it, literally, yes. It feels... <laughs> I know. No, literally, like yes. Because they every only scene had that, that she's in, every scene that she's yeah. in is a deleted scene from The Force Awakens, right? Exactly. That's the only exactly. footage that they had of her to the point where, and like, Michael, you said, yeah, it feels like they were writing her dialogue around the movie. They literally were because these are all deleted scenes that they needed to make dialogue for. Like the part yeah, where she's is- saying... To, the part where she's saying to Snap Wexley, do me a personal favor, be optimistic. Uh, that's actually yeah. a deleted scene where a rebel guard is talking to her about where BB-8 has gone, right? Mm. There's a part where um, where Ray says to Leia, there's so much I want to tell you. And then, Ray sa- and then Leia says, tell me when you get back. Tell me when you get back mm. is actually what she was saying to Han in The Force exactly. Awakens, right? All this stuff, they need to... Look, yeah. are you... It's and not here's the f- thing. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's the thing though is, like, not only the like the fact that they did that isn't the problem. The fact that I can tell is the problem, and the reason is, is Carrie Fisher was an amazing actress. She's clearly able to convey what's happening in the scene, Absolutely. and like, and what what she was doing was like that. You can't then cut up the context of any of that and just slap it in something else and just hope it works. You can tell that that Carrie Fisher's not acting that way in that scene. When, when she's talking to what would have been Han in The Force Awakens, that is not how she would have acted to Rey, and you can just know that. And so many parts of that film, so it's just you know, so evident. Look, no one should have to deal with the fact that someone like Carrie Fisher unfortunately passed away, because you have plans of her in Episode Nine. it throws everything, you know, out of whack. But if yeah. you had... Yeah, look, I understand that you wanted to include her in this movie, but if... Uh, if you wanted to have a very tasteful funeral at the start of the movie where it's absolutely shocking yeah. for all the characters, I think it would have worked really, really well. Again, we've talked mm. about this in the last couple of weeks, Michael, because of it's just been a passion project of mine. I've actually rewritten The Rise of, the Rise of Skywalker just yeah. for fun, thinking about how about the ways in which I have done it. And some of the, one of the things that I had is that, one, uh, is that one of the first scenes of the movie actually has her passing away. And something that would have been really great contextually is if you said, like... The idea that she lost not only her brother, her husband, or her ex-husband at that point, and then the and then having to accept the fact that your son was never coming back would be too much for her to handle, mm. and it would kill her. Like that's something that yeah. I well, that's actually the reason that I gave for the reason that she is dead in the rewrite that I did. Right, is that she she loved uh, you know Kylo Ren and she loved Ben so much that having to concede the fact that she was that he was never coming back was too much for her to bear. And in the same way that, you know, Padme died of a broken heart, it was too much for her to bear in a lot of ways. And I think that that would have been yeah. a very good contextual reason for having her, you know, pass away in the start of the movie. And you still would have been able to have that really heartbreaking scene where Chewie just collapses because all of his friends have, mm. have, have had to go away. It, it, it would have been... Look, I'm not sure how many pe- how people would have handled it or reacted to it, but I guarantee that, it, that people would have reacted to it better than the reaction this had as it stands. Yeah. And not only that, it's from like, a te- 
from a technical standpoint, I, right, in terms of the yeah. filmmaking itself, because all of these are deleted scenes from an entirely different movie, if you go back and watch Leia's scenes from Rise of Skywalker, there's like this weird grain around her that you can clearly yeah. tell she has been superimposed into this scene. And it's not even it's not even done well. And it's just really surprising no. that they would go all that they would go out of their way to put her in this movie, but not even to do it well is just really yeah. shocking and surprising to me. Exactly. Exactly. Like, um, and so on that, there's like also so many scenes where Leia is just standing there silent to just and just like listening, yeah. which makes sense because they only had so many lines to work with, but it just feels so unlike Leia. Like if you watch Force Awakens, every scene Leia's in, she's like in that, she's very present. She's like, like commanding, the energy's there. She's like taking control of things. She feels so passive in this film because those are the only lines they had. The only parts of this film that they had to use were the parts that they cut out because they weren't working for Force Awakens. So yeah, it doesn't work. But like also, it, 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 the yeah. idea is like they didn't want to, or they maybe not, didn't want to kill her right at the start. She dies in this film anyway. Like the, this idea that you don't want to kill off every original character, you kind of had to do it with Leia. You didn't have to do it with the other two, but they did so that, that they had to commit to that. But they didn't have to do it with Leia, but... So they had to do it with Leia because she wasn't there. So they did it anyway. But but like having her in this film in these ways that just didn't work and just kind of felt disrespectful to like her as like an actress in a certain sense, certainly how poor quality it was. It just feels like the worst of both worlds. Like it, it is. You're and like, I really that's you just mentioned her actual death in this movie. I I don't like yeah. her death in this movie at all. It just feels so understated for a character like Princess freaking Leia, uh, is that she has that moment where she clutches the metal and then her hand goes limp over the bed and then she just disappears under a sheet. Like, that's Mm. it. Like, it just feels so one note for a a legacy character like this. And imagine what would have... Remember, like, CGI, like... There you go. No, it's okay. I was just going to say that if she did, like, you know, something that I really got at the end of The Last Jedi is that the the rebellion is on its last legs and it's only just, like, surviving, right? Something that I noticed immediately in The Rise of Skywalker is that the the rebellion... The, sorry, not the rebellion, the resistance or whatever they wanted to call themselves, it, it felt too big. They called big. themselves the rebellion in Last Jedi, so... It felt, it, it felt too big too quickly. Something that I would have really loved... Yeah. It, it felt... Something that I would have really loved in this movie is that they were really on the verge of losing, if not already lost. That there were so few yeah. of them that they didn't think that they could do anything. And then, if they would have had Leia die very early on in the film, it would have been so much more heartbreaking, but at the same time... Exactly. it would have been, It would have been so much more uplifting to see these people who were at the... La- who were on their last legs with no chance of winning at the start of the movie, win at the end of the movie, it would have been so great. And it just didn't yeah, turn like out that's that part way. of oh, like why a lot of people like Return of the Jedi. Like yeah. I think we do get it to an extent with Poe. Like the idea that once Leia dies, they just say like you're in charge, General. Like Poe, like he's the one put in charge. And you do get to an extent where it's like he's the highest in command. Like we see in the previous film, he's like a cocky flyboy or whatever. Like and he's like quite young. It's like this is the the extended leadership of like how far to the to the bone they've gone or whatever. But like. I feel like, yeah, you could have gotten so much more out of that. No, I agree. Um, and as far as, and as long as we're talking about legacy characters from the original trilogy, Lando is also in this movie. And, uh, yeah. you, you know, you can't say a lot about Lando because he's not in the movie for very long and he doesn't play a it's huge role. Small, yeah. But 
I mean, he's good. I like seeing Billy Land. I, mean, I like seeing Billy D. Williams back, and Lando's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, and I love Lando in general. So seeing him is always going to make me smile. Um, and I do, and I think that one of the, and I actually do think that one of the best scenes in the movie comes from the fact that Poe has that moment with Leia under, you know, in her little shrine that that makeshift shrine that they've made for her, when he mm. has basically been appointed and as general in her place, and he really has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't feel like he's ready. So Lando has that moment where he says, you know, you're, you're never ready, but as long as you have each yeah. other, you stand a chance. That's something that I actually, that I, it might be my favorite scene in the movie is that that little, that little exchange that they have, um, which, I mean, mm, which, uh, which, which then goes into, you know, the final act. And I will talk about the final act for a moment. Um, it's my least favorite, it's my least favorite final act in any Star Wars movie, and not only. And, yeah. and I'll tell you. And I'll tell you why. JJ being JJ, um, a lot of the time in his movies, he has a tendency to create a really visually stunning thing, but doesn't have a lot of care in terms of explaining how that really amazing visual thing actually came to occur. Right when mm. they when they light speed into Exegol, and there are like a thousand star destroyers against these X wings. I don't care what the established tropes of star wars are i can't i just can't believe that they're going to win but also from a filmmaking yeah. standpoint right from a filmmaking standpoint because again i love to study film and actually look at film analytically um yeah. this this entire fight because of exegol's setting and the way it looks has this really one note grayscale blue where it's whether it's like yeah. whether it's ray downstairs with palpatine and ben or or it's Poe in the X-Wings, or it's Finn and Janna on the side of a Star Destroyer. It's all got like this blue tinge to it, where it all feels the same. Something about, something, the reason the Battle of Endor and Return of the Jedi works so well is that there are three distinct things that are going on at the same time. There's the lush greenery of Endor, there's the space battle that is, you know, that is, um, you know, visually like, you know, different given the, the Death Star mm. in the background and X-Wings going everywhere. And then finally, the throne room with Palpatine, Darth Vader and Luke when they have that striking conflict with the two clashing lightsabers, both red and green. There's something yep. visually and aesthetically that separates them right in rise of skywalker they are all the same because there's like this like we said there's like this blue tinge to the entire thing because obviously that's like the the, the landscape of exegol that's just like blurring onto everything but because it's so one note i just can't get invested in it because it feels so exactly jumbled up and it just oh, yeah it just, like i don't I, I the really choices don't like make it. in filmmaking lead into how you feel about the film it's definitely a crucial important part yeah. but it's just an interesting thing with like the scale and the threat present in this film when watching the last jedi and sorry when watching the force awakens you get this idea of the first order where like they've got the one main star destroyer which you see and then the the star killer base it's i i feel like when watching it you get this implication that like so much of their like effort went into star killer base like this is where a lot of their priorities went to and there is even nods to that where it's like maybe we'd be more powerful if we didn't do star killer base or whatever then you get Last Jedi and you see the, the, the scale of the First Order's like starships. And it, it's just, it's very difficult to feel like, to like kind of rationalize, to get this idea of like, where are they getting this from? Like the Empire really didn't have this scale and it controlled the entire galaxy. Like, are they implying that the First Order has this control already? Because they didn't at the start of Force Awakens and it happens pretty much directly after Force Awakens. So it's like, it can be hard to rationalize. And then this film turns it to the next level not only did the first order able to create all that 
but the Sith people, what are they, whatever they're the supposed Sith to Eternal. be. The Sith Eternal. <laughs> Sith Eternal. On Exegol, the final order we've created, the most powerful Star Wars fleet we've ever seen created on this one planet by these people. How? How did they do it? I don't know. Because that's that's the thing, oh. is that I, I've seen that if Palpatine can not only hoist a thousand Star Destroyers out of a bunch of ice, but also yeah. can enlist a bunch of people, I don't know where they came from, to create a thousand Star Destroyers over a 30-year period, how has he yeah. not already taken over the galaxy? Uh, like, I, and it's, it's insane. Yeah. And also this idea that, like, Palpatine never really, I feel like... In, put too much it, i feel like in the past never really put too much like pa- like importance on like the technology side of it like yes he had the death star but the pa- death star was just kind of like a thing that he had on there like it was more of like uh more of like uh what's his name uh, uh um tarkin's like thing that he was doing yes and yes. then the and then and then like the sequel and then uh, in return of the jedi it was used as a trap thing for him force like that was always more of an important thing like he cared much more about luke as being a threat to uh to the the the, the empire than anything else and i guess it makes sense that he's focusing on ray in this film but just this idea that like the way he's going to take over is just another fleet but they all have planet killers again fourth oh time God. we see planet killers but every single that. one it not, it's just it, it, so many choices the fact it that doesn't every, even feel yeah. like a lot of the time but it is and he's back but it's like oh so many poor choices in this the, film the fact that start the fact that the star destroyers are basically all mini death stars now because they can yeah. all destroy planets uh when i found that out i was just like oh you've got to be kidding because that not only just has a like a repetitive choice that again jj yeah. decides to put it in there but it doesn't really have much care in explaining it but that's yeah. not. But that that's not it. It also, like, it detracts. It's from like you're the... unable to create stakes without having planet killers. It's like there exactly. are other ways to create stakes. But I think that having that be such a simple thing actually detracts from the Death Star itself as a movie yeah. weapon because you're making it seem like oh they went all they went out of the, their way to make this huge space destroy like you know space station when this whole time yeah. they could have just had it have had these death star lasers on the um on the star destroyers exactly. themselves yeah that's something it's, that's a, yeah it's just oh, it I takes hate. away from the sheer like the scale and the sheer like idea of the death star and the original things it's like this is clearly a thing that was had so much investment put into it like they like used this and they were gonna threaten the entire galaxy with it which is why there's so much stakes when they try and blow up the death star in both of the films and to an extent, you could agree with it in Starkiller Base and, like, they pull up the scale even more. Say what you will about that. But then in this, it's just, like, if it's so easy to create a thousand of these, anyone can do it. Like, you could just create one, like, easily, not having, like, not only being on a single planet with just all these Sith who are just there and creating a thousand of them. Any criminal organization could just put all of their investments into one and just have their own Death Star. I feel it's it's also this idea, like, what is his plan? He's got a thousand Death Stars. Is he just going to blow up every single planet? What does Palpatine want in this film? Does I don't he know. want a that's, second that, empire? That's the thing, is that I don't understand his 
plan. Like at least the 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 idea in you know Return of the Jedi was you know basically galactic domination and you know yeah. turning and the extermination of the Jedi. But that's the thing is that like you know in this film I don't understand what he wants. He wants to kill. He wants people. Ray to kill him. He wants kill. But then he also once he bad. has the power of the of yeah. So, so he wants Ray to kill him. But then when he realizes there's a diet in the force, he's like, actually, I can just steal your power and become awesome again. Uh, yeah. Or whatever. And then he doesn't want to... So then he, he wants to kill them because they're annoying to him. But then does he want to control the, the galaxy? Because the First Order has pretty much already got control of the galaxy at that point. So... Because, yeah, here's the thing. Like, they, they, the Resistance goes to Exegol because it's like, this is the last thing. If they manage to make it out there, we'll lose control of the galaxy because of all these planet killers or whatever. Like, sure, they're vulnerable while they're on Exegol, but if they get out of Exegol, they're pretty much undefeatable. At this point, the First Order still pretty much has control of the entire galaxy. So when Lando goes and gets the entire galaxy to follow him in, like, a day or whatever it is, like, does he also defeat all of the First Order, which occupies pretty much most of the galaxy at that point too? Or do they just leave them there? Exactly. Let's Hang on. Yeah, let's talk about the... You know the, the 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 logistics of the final battle for a minute. First of all, yeah. you're right because the fight because what they're fighting is the final order. All right, all the other star destroyers from the first order. I don't know where the hell they went. That's 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 one thing. Second thing is the the plan that they give behind the entire reason that they can't you know get out of Exegol properly is because navigation can't do it because they can't go up without navigation because they can't tell which way is up and exegol like sure it's just look it's just it's so stupid like not i can understand if you had given us a good reason but it feels like such a backhanded reason that i'm not going to buy it and not only that but once palpatine loses and basically takes the entire final order fleet with him because you know reasons like they're gone but what about say yeah. the but what about say the destroyer that destroyed Kajimi? Right, that was clearly off of Exegol and is still out there. What the hell happened to it? You know, like it just yeah. it's, it's just oh, and they they this, choose this film similar to Force Awakens creates so many questions. However, the problem is Force Awakens is the first in a trilogy, and this is the last of three trilogies. There's so just... there were so many questions coming out of this film that Disney did a J.K. Rowling and was just like, oh yeah, and it was this, oh yeah, and we meant this, and this is what we did when we meant that, but like so many times after the after the time. Yeah, it's um, just, it's just yeah, no, I, I don't really have a defense for it, and I guess we could yeah. sort of start winding down the review now. But like there yeah, there definitely. are so, there are things that I like, you know. There's there's the Han Solo yeah. uh, scene. The part... I think oh, yeah, I think that that's I think that's. Good and we didn't even mention Kylo Ren really in this film. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, let's quickly let's book. I think Kylo Ren is great in this film. I I'm not the biggest fan of the choice of that they decide to do with him. However, I love Ben Solo in this film. Like when Ben Solo like like just like running towards, him, he's like, "Hey, I gotta help Ray. You gotta make it in time." Like that's hilarious to me. Um, and his little outfit he's got, he's like all in black with his little like that's hilarious. And like <laughs> when he gets his blue lightsaber from Ray and he's beating up the. Uh, the uh oh my god knights the knights of ren, of ren. Like, oh knights of ren stupid what what do they do they just, what do they do in this film it's terrible if, if you like, could have thought of a more forgettable set of characters yeah. than the knights of ren seriously yeah like <laughs> so adam driver i actually do quite like in this film i think ben solo no he's, I think he's is actually great. pretty great 
I think Ben. I, I think this is probably some of the like. I think my favorite character of the sequel trilogy probably is Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe not the biggest fan of some of the choices, but I think he's pretty good in this film. However, the way he goes out, what is this? I don't Ray know. dies. I don't know. And then they he kiss. force heals her. Then they kiss, which isn't Why? which is platonic. Which is platonic. It's, yeah, according to the novel, it's no, it's, no romance. It's not a kiss of romance. Oh, it's just. Oh, I don't. I know. mean. I, yeah, yeah, but also, is force healing, is is it equivalent? Is it is it additive or is it subtractive? Like, because if it's additive, then they can just heal each other until they're both alive. If it's <laughs> equal, then they can just heal each other forever. Um, like she heals him, he dies. He heals him, she dies. Like that. And if it's subtractive, then it's like oh rip, I guess. Then like she had he had to lose some of his life force to like heal her a bit. I don't know, but it, it's not explained. It's ambiguous, which the Force should be, but then it's like also kind of Deus Ex Machina when it kind of just shows up. I don't know. Look, so I many ha- strange choices. I really film. don't. I really don't like the idea of Force healing in general for one main reason, and it goes back. Maybe to, Oda uses it. <laughs> and it, yeah, that's true. But but here's the thing: is that it goes back to you need to write for your audience, and what I mean by mm. that, and I don't mean writing for your audience as in the stupid pandering decisions that they made in this yeah. movie, what I mean by that is, you need to be able to make decisions that will not be torn apart by people later, alright, so yeah. if you decide to create something like force healing, you know that once the public, you know, gets a whiff of that, they're going to be like, oh, so why, so, so, so why didn't uh, Obi-Wan do that for Qui-Gon? Why didn't do that for blah, blah, blah? Like, yeah. you know, Star Wars fans being Star Wars fans, they're going to have that kind of reaction. So you need to not only be, you need to know, know who you're writing for. And a lot of the time, I don't feel like no, they knew who they were writing for at all. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of similar to with the Holder Maneuver. But at least with the Holder Maneuver, we got one of the most visually stunning scenes in all of Star Wars. The Instead, most with, visually stunning yeah, scene for me. pretty much. Which, instead in this, we get um, just kind of like one of the most cop-out deaths and one of the most platonic kisses I've ever seen. I have <laughs> never seen two people kiss more platonically than <laughs> Kylo Ren and Day. Oh, it's so platonic. The the lack of romance in that kiss is un, unexplainable. Oh god, that's so true. Uh, all right, well let's 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 end this discussion with the end scene, which is basically yes. Ray. Let's Ray going back to Tatooine. There's a small little detail that I did like about this film is that it sort of like oh, yeah. serves as a good little um, uh, button on Ray's arc, if you can call it an arc. Is yeah. um, there's that she slopes down that hill on the like the little thing, the same way that she did on Jakku in her first scene. I that's think that's fun. a nice little nice little that's detail. Fun. Obviously, getting go back to go back to the Skywalker. Uh, you know that you know the the Lars homestead is just uh, yeah. fun for us as fans. But exactly, it feels like it's us for fans, but doesn't make any sense for the characters. Like one, Leia's never been there. Two, ne- ne- Luke never. only lived there as a child and wanted to leave as much as he could. Three, Ray's never known that it's existed unless Luke said, "Oh yeah, by the way, this is where my family came from." This isn't like a well-known thing about Luke. Why is she there? Yeah. Who would have told her? Either C-3P or R2-D2, I suppose. I but, guess. And, yeah, I mean, why would you bury their lightsabers there? It was, Tatooine was a place that they all hated. Like, uh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but let's just know. talk about the, the thing that obviously wraps up the entire sky. I like his lightsaber, though. Cool. Is, it's got little spots. No, it is. It is. Um, Ray's lightsaber is cool. I would have liked to see more of it, though. Like, yeah. like having having her yeah. use I would have liked to have had more. Yeah, 
instead of just getting Luke's again, which was broken, which kind of, you know, meant to have significance in the last film, this idea of, yeah, her lightsaber, the Luke's lightsaber is, like, was destroyed, but no, they just fixed it again. I don't know I guess, why you she know uses Luke's lightsaber the entire time. It would have made so much more sense. It's probably uh, just sense. because... It would have made so much more sense for Rey to use her own saber the entire time. And you know what? It's actually pointed yeah. out in the Skywalker legacy documentary for this movie where Chris Terrio, one yeah. of the writers, actually says, oh, yeah, you know, there's this idea of, you know, handing out sabers that's like, what? what? No, there's not. People make their own sabers when they lose the one that they originally had. It's just, oh, it's yeah. just I, don't, I, I don't understand. Um, it's really anyway. only the sequel trilogy. And then um, I think it's just A New Hope. Because A New Hope, the idea that he gets handed a lightsaber... Because, yeah, the Jedi is extinct. So this is how they had to do things. It's like, it's more to do with his father than anything else. It's like, this is the weapon of your father. But as soon as Luke loses it, he creates his own. Once he's a Jedi, he does the Jedi thing, which is create his own. And I guess we experience that with Rey, but it's like, why does... Like, I get it. Rey uses Luke's lightsaber, Force Awakens. Sure, yes. go with it. Same that last make, Jedi. That, that, that makes but, sense. By this point in the film where she's pretty much trained so much in, in the ways of the Force. I, I don't even mind necessarily her using Leia's lightsaber. I think that's all right. But why is Luke's back? I don't know. Like, and okay, look, let's just talk about the, you know, the thing that, that wraps it all out. Uh, yeah. Who are you? I'm Ray. Ray who? Ray Skywalker. <laughs> um, what, what do you she think? She stole her boyfriend's last name. What? <laughs> it just, yeah, it's just... I mean, I mean yeah. actually, his last name's Solo, isn't it? So she stole her boyfriend's granddad's last name. <laughs> yeah. Um... It's, like, again, I've seen, like, so many places. It would have even if, the cho- with all of the choices they've made throughout the film, would have been, make so much more sense for her to go with Organa or anything else. But no, it's Skywalker. In terms of an but... in-universe reason, you're right. Yeah. Isn't like, because yeah. she, she names herself after the person that she was with for, like, Maybe a week? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just... Because, uh, yeah, she clearly sees... When she clearly sees Luke for the second time, when she, when he appears as a Force Ghost, it's like, oh, Master Skywalker, you're here again, or whatever. Like, it's... Yeah. It's like, she hasn't met him before again after that. So she clearly only met him that one time where they trained, and then also then, she, where she's been with Leia for, like, much longer. And I actually quite like the connection that they have, even with everything... That we get with the appearance of Leia and whatnot, especially with the CGI scenes. Oh, you know when uh, when they flash back to Leia training with Luke. Yeah. Luke's CGI was actually really good. Like really when good. Luke, when Luke's face shows up, I'm like, oh my goodness, this legitimately looks like a young Mark Hamill. I totally when Leia, that. yeah. When Leia's face shows up, uh, it did not work. Maybe it was because they had Luke act like Mark Hamill to work with, and they didn't with Leia. I don't know. But for some reason, I just, or Leia's face took me out. It's like with the Rogue One. When I see Leia's face in Rogue One, it takes you out. But Luke's face, for some reason, worked amazingly. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like, Luke's, Luke's face is fantastic. His young face. I totally buy that that's like Return of the Jedi era Luke. But then exactly. when Leia's face shows up, it's, it's, I think it's better than she was in Rogue One, but it's still not great. Yeah. Um, no. Standing in for the actress's face on that day was actually Carrie Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord, right. who, who I think has a pretty good role in this movie. She's not in it for very long, but whenever her, no. her character shows up... She was up, more she in the last one. She does. She's yeah. more in The Last Jedi than this one. Um, okay, Michael. Well, that, I think, is a good way to you know put a button mm. on Rise of Skywalker, at least our discussion. I think 
our general consensus is we do not like this movie, but there are some very poor choices. But overall, you know, the directing, for the most part, good. C-3PO has some cool bits. Chewie, Lando, they all have some cool bits. The Force... Yeah, the Force Ghost thing where, that, where all their voices show up, that's kind of cool. Um, mm. y- you know, the visuals, they're all good, except for the third act, which is just, a high, uh, you know, very yeah. be- beige for me. I would have liked some, you know, something to, dis- you know, have some disparity between the two yeah. so I could get invested more. little things, visuals, like when the, all of the spaceships show up, so many of them are just copy and pasted assets from previous film. Like, like, sure, every so often you'll find something interesting. But, like, if this was the prequels, and, like, say what you're about the prequels, George Lucas or, like, the people designed meticulously so many small little details you would never have noticed. If that was in the prequels, almost, like, so many of those ships would be so many small little details of things that would have been fleshed out in canon or whatnot that would have seen would be so exciting. But no, we get, like, copy-and-pasted um, uh, cruises from Rogue One. We get copy-and-pasted spaceships that really shouldn't be there, like, ones that were, like, one-of-a-kind or whatnot or, like, just things that make no... Yeah, the Avana's there, which is no... I, I don't understand. Like makes no sense, but yeah, like so little details like that throughout the entire film, but yeah. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that's the thing is that like you know we do have things that we do like about Rise of Skywalker, but overall, um, unfortunately, the bad does outweigh the good in this case, which we're like, not for like, me. We don't, which we don't like to admit. We want to love this yeah. movie, but we don't. Is it... It's really only one time. Other one time is like for me. I, I again watching this film. I think I enjoyed it more the second time than watching it the first time, just because the first time it was just like. Every choice they made was like just so shocking. Like, what was this? But everything I had, every problem I had with it on first viewing, I still had with it on second viewing. It's not the type of problem that improves the more you watch it, the more you notice. Because the choices are so obvious and so bizarre that they were made that it's just, those are so evident that it is hard to enjoy the parts that, yeah, there are some enjoyable parts in this film. But so many strange choices just take away from that experience. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, yeah, a lot of the time, me being a giant Star Wars fan, maybe I'll watch it if I'm doing something else, have it on in the background. Like, you can watch it and enjoy it, but as a film, it really doesn't work. So I'm going to give my ranking, Michael, and I'm not sure if mine will be the same as yours, but here we go. I've worked out mine, because there's only two, like, for me, you go first, and I'll explain for me. Okay, great. Okay, so, uh, number nine, Attack of the Clones. Number eight, Rise of Skywalker. Number seven, Phantom Menace. Number six, Revenge of the Sith. Number five, Force Awakens. Number four, Return of the Jedi. Number three, Last Jedi. Number two, Star Wars, 1977. And number one, Empire Strikes Back. My official Skywalker saga ranking. There you go. Um, Michael, what's yours? uh, So, for me, I would say... The the more I think about it, the more I go back to... There are only two Star Wars films that after watching after thinking about i i i think that there is more in the film that i dislike than that i enjoy and those are attack of the clones and rise of skywalker and as much as i would love to like really enjoy the film and there are parts that i do enjoy i just can't help but like look at it like that where it's there are more there is more in this film that i dislike than i enjoy and it's the same with and that's why the ranking for me is pretty similar it's, if not the same, it's it's Attack of the Clones, Rise of Skywalker, then Phantom Menace, and then the rest I think I had previous week. So same as you, except Return of the Jedi and Marcia as well. But because it's for me, it's like no Phantom Menace yeah. is it's not a great film. There are more. There is more in Phantom Menace that I enjoy and I think are good choices than there are problems in it. Whereas I just can't say the same thing about Rise of Skywalker. So yeah, that's the uh, official ranking. Yeah, I think The Phantom Menace is a better movie than Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, 
And that, guys, is the end of our Skywalker yeah, Saga retrospective. And um, yeah, we've we've been doing that for quite a while now, and uh, it's been fun because now you go. Now we have gone through each one, and you, we've we've been able to give our thoughts again. Like we were just talking about with the rankings, I I could easily flip flop between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Like you know, as it stands, I think that they. Show to the Jedi. What I say? Oh, sorry. Yes. No. 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 Return of the Jedi. Whoa. Return of the You're Jedi. Last Jedi. Return of the Jedi is definitely what I meant. Um. Yeah. yeah. So Return of the Jedi and Last and uh, Last Jedi, I think, could very easily take one another's places. Um. Yep. Yeah. But that's that's it. Yeah. And um, that's the end of the show, that's guys. It. I really hope you enjoyed today. Um. And yeah, we're going to be available on every platform that you can find us on. And the time codes will be available. We'll be up 12 p.m. AEST on the Sunday with the YouTube release being subsequently released the day after at the same time on YouTube or available on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Find us there. Find us everywhere. Um, next week uh, is the week before Mandalorian Season 2 starts. So I think we'll be doing something uh tv series related in terms of maybe a we will we'll do something leading up to it just like in a prep week but yeah basically once we do that week which we'll have some fun we'll be doing weekly mandalorian episode reviews so that's yes. going to be a lot of fun lots I'm of really fun looking i'm really looking forward to that yeah uh and that's all guys thank you very much for watching i really hope you guys have yeah. a really good week and we'll talk to you next time uh thank you may the force be with you this has been tell me the odds, odds.